Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds. Welcome to the Nerd Association podcast from the WBNS FM studios in Columbus, Ohio. I'm your host, Mark Finch. And I'm your other host, Daniel Barnett, here on Nerd Association. If you're passionate about it, you can talk passionately about it. And as we've said, add the caveat, it doesn't hurt anybody. Then we're all about it here on Nerd Association. It's an exciting time in nerddom for all of the franchises that are making us feel really old right now. <laughs> uh in particular, two that we're going to be diving deeply into in the next few weeks. And to help us do that today uh, with our sort of first contender, we have a, a friend of mine from high school and a guy who lives in the D.C. area, friend of the show, uh, Michael Lyons. Uh, Michael's first appearance on the show is one that is still waiting to be sort of edited and played. So actually, Michael has behind the scenes appeared on the show before, <laughs> uh, but this will be the first time we are going to air. So, Michael, welcome to Nerd Association. Thanks for uh, coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. As you said, I'm a huge fan of the show. So to be on for the first time officially, and again, I appreciate the air mystique that you uh, provided me for my first recording. <laughs> uh, people are going to have really anticipate that coming out, I'm That's sure. Right. Um, no, just thank you for having me. I'm really glad to be here. So, Michael, take it away. You know what we do now. I know what we do, right? So, gentlemen, what do you think of when I say, I solemnly swear I am up to no good? Uh, I mean, it's the Marauder's Map. We have to go with that. We have to go. And it more specifically, I don't think of anybody else who used it. I think of the Weasley twins, and they gave Ooh. it to Harry. That's what comes up for me. And, uh, I mean, if you're just jumping off with that, that's I like the Harry Potter movies. Uh, I've read a few of the books, but the movies are something I, 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 you know, came out at the right time in my childhood too, and I just rewatched all of them because they were on HBO Max. But uh, I have lots of problems with them and questions, and why is it done this way? And the the Marauders map opens up a, a lot of that. You know why the Peter Pettigrew thing is a, is a big hinge there on the Marauders map. Like why didn't ever anybody ever notice the Weasley brothers noticed that Peter Pettigrew was always next to their brother when he was disguised as a rat and those kind of things. But we'll get into more of those as we go so on. So for those of you who are like, what in the hell are they talking about? Uh, it is a, you know, we, uh, HBO max recently aired the Harry Potter 20th anniversary special at the beginning of January. And of course, for a lot of folks I know in our listening audience, they are of the age like us, where Harry Potter was an integral part of their childhoods. This trio here represents varying levels of investment in the Harry Potter series. And so one of the reasons we, especially one of the reasons we had Michael on today, in addition to him being a friend of the show, is that he is uh, certainly a lot more knowledgeable than I am about Harry Potter. And I think we have figured out that uh, Chops is maybe sort of the the middle ground between the two of us. So, Michael, why don't we start with you? Can you tell us a little bit about how you were introduced and why you fell in love with the series and why your fandom has has lasted? Why has it made it you know to the point where you would still say, like, yes, I'm a super fan of Harry Potter? Yeah, that's a great, great question. The big question to open up, right? Well, it was, it was this magical moment. My brother had been hounding me. My older brother of three years had been hounding me to read these books. He loved them a lot. He was referencing them a lot. So he gives me the Sorcerer's Stone. This would have been right after it came out, or months after it came out originally in, I think, 97 or 8. And so he gave me the book and was like, you have to read this. And as I did with a lot of his recommendations, I started to read it and put it down. Didn't like it. So that was my first exposure was I didn't actually like Harry Potter. It was like, I was nine years old, read the first couple of chapters, like, no, nope, this isn't for me. I'm done. You're, you're just too obsessed with this crazy world. I'm not, I'm not going down that route with you. And then it was uh, about a year or so later when I finally picked it up again and just kind of on my own, just wanting to read something new and with thought, why not give it a try? A lot of people are liking this. Maybe I'll like it too. If I give it a second chance and I, I really can't say, uh, enough about I'm really glad I did because as you kind of referenced Daniel it's it's become a huge uh, huge um, impact on my life for very various reasons but it's kind of funny because I can't I don't ever feel like I can call myself a super fan because I know there's lots of people out there who again immediately fell in love with it who 
stood in line at midnight to see all the movies or go in line at midnight to pick up all the books. And I, for my own, I was always kind of late on those trends and things. So like I only bought the final book, seventh one at midnight. I only went to like, I think two movies for midnight showing that I never dressed up for any of them. Um, but I do, I do feel like I am one of those people who I think a lot of people who enjoy Harry Potter can say is that the story has really stuck with us. It's really important to us. We know it inside and out simply because I can always feel comfortable going back and reading those books, even as an adult and not feeling ashamed about reading the children's book, because there's so much there that I can dive into and learn more each time. And same thing in the movies, the movies are just what I think is the most accessible way to kind of see them over and over again. Um, even as an adult and even when you're doing other things in your life that might not be able to sit down and read seven huge novels, it's the movies really allow you to kind of enter that world very easily. And uh, I'm sure you two can talk about this too. When you have a chance, it's just that the uh, Harry Potter marathons on the weekends were just one of those ways to keep that kind of magic alive for a lot of us. The binge watching before the streaming uh, services kind of took over where you're just able to sit down at any point in the day, catch part of a Harry Potter movie. And because you knew the story so well, you could just snap in really easily and just enjoy yourself for however long you had and kind of snap back out when you needed to. So the, the books are, of course, really dear to me for the ability and the world they really create and the nuances and the movies are there for that really that comfort, that love of that world more than anything. But that's kind of my story. Uh, what about you two? For me, Harry Potter came out, especially the movies. Um, I remember going to see the first one on opening night and it was just kind of random. My neighbor was going and the her mom asked my mom like hey do you want to send him to this too it's supposed to be a really big movie and so we went and we saw it. and so that was my first like real foray like fully into it because i remember the books the book the first one came out when i was four years old but by the time i was in about first grade all the first three were out and the the phenomenon was completely on at that point. It was the, it was one of the biggest things. Everybody at least knew the name Harry Potter. And I, my brother had the book and I tried, I tried to read it as a first grader and I don't think I was quite at the reading level for it. And I definitely didn't get through it. So for me, the movies were, were a bigger one for me. But if you think about it, the first time I tried to read the book, I was in first grade and then maybe even kindergarten when I tried to pick it up and then the, the deathly hallows one came out in 2011, which would have been either at, I think it was at the end of my junior year in high school. So it was something that was just around my entire time in school. And obviously, as we all know, those are such big years as far as coming of age and forming who you are. So Harry Potter was always around. And even though I sort of kind of ducked out in the middle of the movie series and then came back near, near the end. Um, but it still wasn't something that was, that was huge in my life. I always remember really, really liking the first two directed by Chris Columbus and not liking it as, as much after that. Cause it gets a lot darker and it gets a, a little bit more mature. And I, I thought maybe that brought some of the, the magic out of it, but, uh, I just rewatched all of them, uh, really at the urging of my wife who had to put them on and uh, I enjoyed them, but it was something that kind of brought back memories of all, all those years ago, the, how I first saw the first one. And then to finally really see them all in order was, was fun. So Daniel, when you say we're going to feel old, it's not just the special. It's also chops <laughs> talking about how young he was when this stuff came yeah, out. Yeah, <laughs> A little bit. I mean, you know, there's a, a, a slight age gap there, but uh, no, it, it's interesting. You would, you kind of each have touched on the fact that like, even though Harry Potter has been around for the majority of our lives, I was one of those that did not hit it, hit the phenomena right when it came out. In fact, I remember reading Sorcerer's Stone right when Goblet of Fire came out. So that was kind of my timeline that this, this fourth book had come out and that I needed to catch up. I was also one of those people that had to convince my parents that like, it wasn't satanic to sort of go to sort of touch on that little bit of the sort of uh, Harry Potter mystique for a minute. I had to be like, no, it's a, like, it's not that they're not, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that kind of thing as like a 12 year old, you know, yeah. no mom. I had a classmate who wasn't uh, allowed to read them because yeah. of that. And I always thought that was strange. Cause I was like, well, they celebrate Christmas in the Harry Potter universe. So it, it like has all that in there, which is odd 
when you really think about why would they celebrate Christmas? Yeah. But well, also, we I mean, it's taught, they speak Latin in the Catholic Church, so why not? Uh, you know, why not in class? <laughs> right. Anyway, point being, it took a little bit of doing for me to sort of be able to pick up those books, and then I remember reading them back to back, like one, two, three, four. You know, chain read them, was really hooked. And I don't, I, I can't say that I am have in my mind like exactly the timing of the movies and when I read, saw the movies and when I read, but I know what that I got into the fifth book, I don't know, three or four chapters and was like, this is dull. <laughs> I am not, I am not interested in this. And I want to say I saw, I think I saw the, the first three movies, but it was at the same time that I was like starting to read the fifth book and was like, you know, it just isn't. It's not clicking with me anymore for whatever reason. And so kind of since then, I've not like um, I don't hate the Harry Potter series, but I never I never got through all of it. And I never got fully immersed in the way that I think a lot of people did. And I don't know if it was just the timing of when I was reading things and chops you mentioned, like especially in the second half of the series. Stuff gets dark, like quite dark, with the idea, I think, that uh, as the, the young readers are progressing through these novels, they are themselves growing up, and they are themselves <laughs> encountering the sort of the ways the, in which the world can be ugly or scary. And so I think it's, I don't know if that was it. I can't point to it because I, you know, I can't go back and talk to myself at age whatever, 13 or 14. <laughs> but I've kind of viewed this opportunity talking to the two of you and, you know, viewing the, the anniversary special. And, and I, I haven't gone and watched all the movies and I didn't go and rewatch things, but I'm keeping an open mind that maybe this, this will convince me to give it a second shot. So no pressure, but this maybe, <laughs> who knows, maybe you'll convince me that I need to go, go back and give it a second try. So that the fact that I am the, the least invested, I'm going to hand it over to you guys to talk about the beginnings and you know how we jump into the series and how the how the questions about the books and the movies so you know take it away you two and i'll i'll chime in when i think i have something to say <laughs> i was gonna say i figure yeah the best way for us to attack it is just kind of go in order and so we can talk about how we experienced them what we have with problems michael you're going to be much better at probably telling the difference between like what what did they change from book to movie and things like that. So I, I think that's, I, I think we just jump off with the Sorcerer's Stone, which apparently is, I don't know if it's that Americans don't like philosophers or if sorcerer has a different connotation in England, but for some reason it's Philosopher's Stone in England and Sorcerer's Stone in America. I, I can actually speak yeah. to that. Yeah, if, no, it's true. It's, <laughs> if you're interested. There you go. Um, so the Philosopher's Stone is historically associated with alchemy. So the Philosopher's Stone is the thing that that medieval alchemists wanted to find to turn base metals into gold. And so it's always sort of been associated with, uh, again, that sort of like witchcraft thing by Western religion. That like the Alchemist Stone mm -hmm. is this some, some dark secret that gives you these powers uh, like unto a god. <laughs> and so I think the change was for an, an American audience who would who would associate Philosopher's Stone with black magic or whatever. Even, I mean, it's a, it's a series about magic, but like Philosopher's Stone has a sort yeah. of weight to it in cultures that, again, are really sensitive to sort of... Now I know. Stuff. 25 <laughs> years later, I yeah. finally know. But, but again, to your point, like how is yeah, Sorcerer's Stone better <laughs> in that way? I don't know. <laughs> Well, that's why I think I think it was less even about the black magic, Daniel, than it was. People were afraid Americans, us great, knowledgeable, so smart Americans, would just not understand what philosopher's stone was or what a philosopher like confuse it with whatever a philosopher was. But whereas sorcerer just meant magic, and so right. everyone could understand that in America, right? And this is a story about wizard and stuff. So I think it was actually less even about the dark undertones that that might be associated with more of we got to make sure americans understand this when they read the title that this isn't a mystery do series they even not something use about the word plato <laughs> do they even use the word sorcerer in the harry potter world not besides the uh first book i don't think for the sorcerer's yeah. stone i mean it's, you're it's a wizard harry wizard yeah. and witches right yeah 
Oh, they have such a low so, opinion of us Americans. From a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> point of view, the interesting distinction is that like a wizard is somebody who learns magic through just study, which is, you know, Hogwarts, that's what it is. But sorcerers are people that have magic through their bloodlines. So they're sort of naturally gifted with magic. They don't learn it. I mean, that's D&D. So holy. I mean, I don't mm -hmm. know that there's necessarily that sort of a connotation in, in like if you dig into sort of real world lore. But I don't know. We're thinking about. But yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a it's a an interesting choice to make. Dumb Americans, right? Yeah. Well, everybody in Harry Potter is <laughs> you know in who goes to the school is a wizard, I guess, in a learning sense. But they do have to have a predetermined set of magical qualities to them. Nobody comes in unmagical and can learn it. I think you have to have. I don't know if it's a midichlorian count thing or what it is <laughs> to get there, but something it stirs up in you when you hit that that puberty ish age no that's a that's a great parallel because again those early star wars prequels were coming out relatively around the same time right yeah and we'll get into this as we talk about each of the books but it's it's amazing the delicacy that jk rowling as an author was able to kind of balance those like blood and how that's important and heritage of your family and everything, how that plays into this story. And we'll get into it later books when, as Daniel says, it gets darker, but that's actually, actually a huge part of the story. And we'd laugh about it in star Wars, but for Harry Potter, it plays a huge role moving forward as they get older. And again, this is one reason why it probably resonates with people today is how that applies to the real world with your, your heritage and the cultural groups you belong with and your family and everything. So when we're talking about the movies, the first one, it's perfect for children. I mean, if you're of yeah. like elementary school, middle school age, and you've never seen this movie and you watch it, especially with my experience, I got to watch it on the big screen on opening night. There was a line to get in. It was kind of cool because it was like one of the, as a younger kid, it was like the latest I'd ever been out probably, or at least, you know, close to it. And it, it's just so awesome as you, you get in and it's, you know, the, the story's, He's the orphan son living with his with his aunt and uncle and their their son is super spoiled and they just treat him like dirt and he lives in a little room under the thing and then they sort of get a little bit of their come up and so it's kind of their whole role at the beginning of most of the movies and the books is they just get a little yeah. come up and then Harry's like, Remember, I'm magic. Uh, and then this one, Haggard comes, gets them the famous line, you're a wizard, Harry. They take the boats and the first time you see Hogwarts and it just goes from there, just all the magical moments. And at, if you're at that right age, because kids always like that, that's a popular thing in children's fiction is like boarding school, perfect dream boarding schools. And Hogwarts is definitely up there on the list of boarding schools. Kids would love to have a chance to go to. Oh, absolutely. And, we can make a quick tangent for this for just a minute, then I'll get back to some of the points you made, Mark. But like, do you guys even know what house you were sorted in? This is a huge thing in the Harry Potter fandom. I am a Ravenclaw. I am also a Ravenclaw, there we go. Okay. but like leaning a little towards Slytherin. That makes sense. Yeah. I see that. <laughs> what about you? I'm always fascinated. It seems like a lot of my... Uh, I'm, I'm a I was going to say, you, to you strike me as a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a solid <laughs> Gryffindor, but you know. <laughs> at least none That's of us funny. are those That's worthless funny. hufflepuffs hey now oh those hufflepuffs now they're great but like what's hilarious is, is that one we all kind of don't disagree with each other's choices right it feels like right for everybody but i also find it weird I've, a lot of my american friends i've always said that they're raven's halls and i always kind of was like well why i mean i am a gryffindor so i'm not saying that i chose it for this reason but i'm like why don't people want to be a gryffindor more because that's most of what the heroes are it's what mm -hmm. harry is and I think what I've struck at, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, especially you, Mark, if you're a Ravenclaw, but I think it's because people who love books love Harry Potter and they associate Ravenclaw with, again, these intelligent people who love books and who read and want to learn knowledge. And so to me, maybe it's just that combination of the, pe the people who want to read the books and stuff are also the ones who assort themselves in Ravenclaw. And maybe I'm wrong, but that's, that's kind of what I keep running into when I it, see that question being asked. That's interesting to me because I do, yeah, the association of Ravenclaw and intelligence. And I think, I don't know, maybe it, it, the problem is if you know some of these things, you can also kind of 
you are you gaming the system when you're answering the little the little trivia questions right, and you right. don't know but it's funny because i'm not i'm not a huge reader and the harry potter books is not something i i scoured every page of the novels but i do yeah there's something about identifying with ravenclaw i feel like the, the you know slytherin gets the the evil negative connotation but like i made you know it was a joke about hufflepuffs but i feel like hufflepuffs <laughs> are the one who are kind of like you know the other three look down on them so i think as long as you're in those three you're in a good spot but i think that's right because right like the song goes and hufflepuff gets the rest and so i think that's one reason why a lot of people feel like <laughs> it's just the rest right <laughs> yeah i don't I, it's it, well and what's funny is people kind of groan at like hufflepuff for that but it's also like if you say you're a slytherin all of a sudden it was like oh look out for this one even though like you know <laughs> slytherins are about what you know being ambitious and clever and resourceful like i don't know i feel like uh every sort of house you know harry gryffindor gets all the, the good press because this the sort of you know chosen one savior of the world is one but there's right. something to be said about you know being too headstrong and thinking too emotionally too. Also, I hear also you. The, Hermione, the axis wasn't all bad, is what you're saying. I uh, hear okay. you. Also, uh, <laughs> shut your whore mouth, chops. Uh, also, Hermione would have definitely been a Ravenclaw. I don't want to hear this crap about. I, I you know it's like oh all the main characters are Gryffindors. No, you've broken your own <laughs> rules automatically. <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna get back into that later. We'll back into that later, Daniel. But, uh, um, to, to your point, to your point, Mark, about the movie, it is exactly a great kids movie, right? You got Chris Columbus directing it, you know, Home Alone fame. You have John Williams music playing, and it's just so bright. Like I don't know, watched it recently, and I'm sure Daniel, you can remember anything. It's like bright colors, the castle, and everything's glowing, and they wear these big red robes and green robes that just shine on the Quidditch pitch and everything. Yeah. And so it's like, it's very colorful, very magical. Like you name some of the most iconic scenes, not just in the series, but also in like movie history uh, with the boats and everything. It's just like the first two also really have a, have a bit of a Christmas movie vibe to them. Cause they really focus yeah. on the Christmas scenes in both of those ones. And that kind of goes a little bit to the wayside as it goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why some people even like talk about them being like holiday movies. They sit down during the holidays and watch them. And that's probably why the special aired here in January 1st. Does um, Chris Columbus know how to make a movie that doesn't involve Christmas? <laughs> it suddenly occurs to me. Great question. Great question. Um, but like to your point too about it being great for children, like my kids have watched the first three and they love, especially the first two, a lot. Um and so their their ages are nine, seven, four, two, and of course the two year old doesn't care that much at this point. But my older few kids, they they love that first one, and they don't really, they haven't read the books. Of course, we read the first one together as a family. But again, my younger kids probably weren't paying attention. But like they do love the movie, and so even all these years later, like it's amazing how that movie holds up uh, despite all the new stuff that's coming out, mm -hmm. with special effects and everything, all that. And again, as an adult, you watch it and chops, you probably felt this way. Like, it's not like a lot of the acting, especially with the kids being their first movie and everything is like phenomenal or anything. It's not like it was like this uh, tall credit to all these people. It was like, it wasn't necessarily a Oscar winning movie or anything, but it is still just loved even by new generations. Today. And that's kind of what's amazing about what they achieved at that first one. It really resonated then. It resonates now. They had some sort of secret sauce that they put in both the book and the movie to make them both work. Yeah. And then you, you get through that movie and the, especially the first two, they, and they all, I mean, they follow the structure because they follow the structure of a year at Hogwarts. They all kind of have similar arcs to them, but the first two, I get them sometimes confused, like what happens in which, because they really follow the exact same formula, but the, the kids get to school. It's, you know, it's a magical time. Uh, Dumbledore warns of some something dangerous in the school because they're terrible administrators at Hogwarts. They aren't good at running the school. <laughs> Every year can't start with don't go down this hallway or you'll die. Like, why isn't that all? Why is that coming up first week of school? Why isn't that solved at some point? Well, these kids are gone for three months, but the, I digress, <laughs> I guess, from that. That's one of my big gripes. I don't think they're good administrators. They make terrible hires. There's always some sort of some sort of danger. It, 
I don't understand how this school, like why would people willingly send their kids to this school? All the stories are, are terrible of it, at least in the years that Harry Potter was there. But yeah, if it, if like it I was real, saying, the first if two were real school, the lawsuits, man, I mean, it would just be right. <laughs> outrageous. But the first two really follow that arc of you get to school. It, it, it's going okay. You do some school stuff. Some things come up that Harry, Ron and Hermione have to figure out. They go somewhere deep into the school. That's mysterious. And they end up fighting the, whatever the antagonist for that year is. Yeah. And to your point, Mark, it's, it's very typical of a lot of children's stories generally, right? Especially those involving boarding schools or even just the, the chosen one's journey, the hero, right. Being plucked out of obscurity with, right. you know, you go to Cinderella or whoever it is, right? Those two books and the movies, because the movies are probably, those two are probably the best adaptations from page to screen out of all of them. And I think most fans would agree with that in regards to like, they kept a lot of the same structure, same themes, and basically the same scenes and everything. They might have just changed things here and there. Um, it's really that simple structure of that like story. And to Daniel's point earlier, and we'll talk about it as we keep going, it's really the third book where a lot of that stuff shifts and changes. And that's probably one of the reasons why they also kind of made a lot of aesthetic changes to, to the movies and made them more distinct each time, because they're just, they're each different from that point on than those first two, which were really just kind of setting up this world and it allowed people to come into the story. Cause again, it's that story that we all know very easily. And then JK Rowling and then the filmmakers were just able to kind of take you from there across all these different other paths because they got you kind of, in, eased into it almost in this magical world which was kind of brilliant on their end to do that right off the bat and something i'm sure that will get replicated in the future but it was just really smart to do from the very start um at least in my opinion it becomes those first probably four it, for me in the movies i guess i mean the first one's pretty simple what happened so i guess those those following three it's uh and the 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 order of the phoenix as well. I like get mixed up because it does follow a similar structure. I'm like, which one is the one where they come in the flying car and they 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 steal Harry away? And which one's the one where he takes the the triple decker bus and you know how how does he get to school? All they all kind of jumble up in my head because they they follow that yeah. same structure. But I really like the the Chamber of Secrets one. That is the one where they come with them in the flying car and then there's something going on. Nobody wants them to go through uh nine and three quarters, the platform nine and three quarters. So they end up taking the flying car to the school. And the facial acting by Rupert Grint in that scene <laughs> when they're flying the car and then when they're in the whomping willow, I think that is the possibly the best acted scene in the entire series <laughs> so yeah so it's funny did you know the second movie is actually the longest out of all the individual installments like even though the books get longer each time the second movie is still the longest movie by runtime so it's kind of funny how much they stuffed into that one even mm -hmm. though it's one of the shorter books Sorry, Dan, you were saying. No, I was I was just thinking of like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang meets the scene where everyone meets Tom Bombadil in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the you know the, the 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 magical car, and then you end up getting almost hugged to death by a tree. Anyway, sorry, that's that's just that's just the peanut <laughs> <Yeah>. gallery. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate those references. Well, and then they another reason why the school is terrible. Like they act, it's right next to the school. Although in the third book or movie, I don't know if this is just in the movie, but then it's then it's further away and it looks completely different because they changed directors. But it's right next to the school. These kids land a car in it. They act like they don't know what it is. How could something this dangerous and deadly be right next to the school and they're not told about it? That like avoid the whomping willow. It will kill you but we'll tell them about don't go down the hallway that'll kill you too that's the old like the english boarding school model of like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and there are such a thing as acceptable mm. losses of children i mean ask the weasleys like if they <laughs> they could have afforded afforded to lose a few you know what i mean well they lost the one they had a spare of just so. saying Ooh. <laughs> oh, 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 too soon too soon <laughs> uh no i i love this argument because on on the face value yeah it's like terrible run school why would you put all these i think the books even call it out they're like why do, would you put all these young witches and wizards who can't control their magic and this magic is like when you sit down think of it in a serious way it's actually really dangerous right these kids are basically like the strongest superheroes you can imagine or gods mm -hmm. really you know they can do change things and blow things up 
and, it gets and you're teaching them how to do this person. as yeah <laughs> and you're putting like a thousand or so of them together and they're like children i also think it's funny <laughs> that there's like you know the the spells that are the, the forbidden spells and the the very most po- like potent power word kill spell is one of the first ones you learn about in the first book like you know what i mean it's like it it, it would have been um perhaps a little bit wiser a little bit more suspenseful to not like tell us avada kedavra right up front is the the words that shall not be spoken you know what I mean <laughs> and again as somebody who uh, who's not uh who's not le- or is it cadavera about a cadavera point being as even yeah, as like a person go. who's not a super fan i can tell you what the most powerful spell in harry potter is which we'll talk about cultural impact later but i that always cracked me yeah, up it's like yeah. this is the thing the like the series of words you should never know as a magic user and here we're going to tell them to you right up front <laughs> Because it doesn't generally go well to tell teenagers you can't say something, and the reason is because it's dangerous. Right. Well, yeah, clearly it's yeah, not going to go. Hey, hey guys, we have this room down the end of this weird, like creepy hallway. Don't go in. And and that and right. that's again, as you said, that's the plot of the first two books. Is there's a creepy room? Don't go in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but again, I think Mark. Part of the things that you're questioning in the course, and this is probably going to answer a lot, and I'm I'm not wanting to. Uh, there's so many people, again, my kids are one of them who love the movies and that's all they consume and haven't read the books. And that's a great way to love this world. And there's no shade thrown there by me at all because I love both of them. But some of these answers do come through in the books more, right? Like you think about the the fifth movie, The Order of the Phoenix, um, is about the ministry coming in, pretty much taking over, right? Taking all that power away from Dumbledore, mm-hmm. putting up all these rules. And then the book goes much deeper into exactly what that looks like. And it's like, it's like killing all the ways that these kids could actually learn anything. Like they hand out little children's books about what you should not do. It's not actually teaching them mass magic, it's just telling them what they can't do. Right. And it's just like the whole point is that like Dumbledore's giving, and again, you see it as the series progresses, spoiler alert, Dumbledore's giving like Harry room to like stretch his legs and learn things. Cause he knows there's like bigger things coming. So yeah, Harry, don't go down there, go down there and try it out. But that's, I'm, in the back shadows still watching you to make sure it doesn't go completely crazy. What's um, her name the in that one? The, the lady in the pink. Oh, Umbridge. Umbridge. Yeah. We'll get to her. Man. There's always this thing in chosen yeah. one narratives yeah. though. It's like Michael, you bring up a good point where it's like the moment where it's like, well, if he's really the chosen one, he'll make it out. Like he, if <laughs> he can't be, he can't <laughs> not be the chosen one. If he gets yeeted in the first book. Or by, you know, by the, yeah. the, the Cerberus or this, you know, the Basilisk or whatever. Yeah. And so it is interesting, though. I always find that to be like the part of the narrative that's really risky and interesting. Like maybe he's the chosen one, but he wasn't, you know, you weren't supposed to let a 12 year old fight a three headed devil dog. And and in fact, the most powerful right. lich in the universe. Hey, maybe. Hey, ma- hey, Dumbledore. Yeah. I know you're beloved, but maybe no. Maybe hold his hand you also- a little more than that. <laughs> You also right. hired a teacher that had the guy who you won't even say his name on the back of his head. <laughs> so maybe do a little more vetting on your hires. Yeah. Oh, that's a great. That's always a great debate. Yeah. I love it's that. It's funny one though. Too. I don't get me wrong. I'm actually really entertained by these movies and I like them, but one more while we're on the subject of these first two, cause it's, it's big in these ones and it totally gets thrown to the side of uh, being a, a guy who works at a sports radio station. Quidditch yeah. <laughs> is not a good sport. It's take out the snitch and it's fine. The snitch makes it pointless. What is the point of the entire game? If it's just ended by one guy on his own doing one thing, it would be like in basketball. If you played a whole game, but if sometime in the fourth quarter, you just sent out a player who he wasn't even playing in the game. You couldn't guard him or anything. If he just found a way to make a half court shot game over. I mean, that's what is that's our biggest so, complaint about space jam. If you recall, <laughs> <laughs> right yes <laughs> was that it's basketball that sucks because only the last two minutes count yeah no it's a good point and this is again where the movies don't do the books justice because as a sports fan myself i i actually love quidditch but like there's a scenario in the fourth book which they don't show it because i can't blame them at all there's no reason to show the quidditch world cup actually happening on your screen besides it looking really cool mm-hmm. but like there's a scenario there Technically, the rules are the game ends when he catches a snitch, but that doesn't mean you automatically win. You get 150 points. And in the Quidditch World Cup in the fourth book that they get to watch is an example of when the seeker for the one team catches Victor Crumb 
catches a snitch, but his team's down more than 150 points. So they still lose. <laughs> and so like the way it works is, and he did it because they were just getting slaughtered and he wanted the game to be over. Right. At least a close. It's, like a, it's almost like a mercy rule type deal. Yeah. Like that's what he did. He like to go into. <laughs> exactly. But like, if you're again, down by more than 150, then there is no incentive to catch the snitch. No, unless you, cause if you have hope that you'll actually come out on top, but like yeah. basically in that scenario, the Irish team was just so good that they were just racking up points. And it's like, we can't, we needed to catch early. And since we can't, we just need to end it. Cause this is going to get ugly. Really that fast. is an interesting point that I will admit, like, even as somebody who read that book would not have remembered that. Oh yeah. The snitch ends the game. It doesn't, it's not an instant. I mean, it can be an effective victory cause it's a lot of points. I don't remember what the tally system is, yeah. but you're, you're scoring what, like 10 and, 15 points at a time or something like that 10 yeah so it's not inconceivable that somebody could be up by more than 150 in that game that being exactly. said I, I was gonna say the quidditch scenes are always really exciting at least like because i do i i find quidditch visually very fun to watch but the actual rules of the game aren't good but I mean, isn't that oh, isn't fair. that kind think... of like um i mean there are sudden death rules in lots of sports they're just not quite as O O P as Quidditch. Like, think about the the. Well, and usually it's when it's tied right, over time. Yeah, yeah. You no, know, yeah. I will say that um the thing that comes to mind is there's a lot of British, like bar games and traditional games where that's the like it's you play the whole game, but really the only thing that matters is the last few minutes. I'm thinking about like bar <laughs> billiards, which is like a particular bar game in in the UK. I don't know stuff like that where it's like. Yeah. I don't maybe the British are just into that where it's like, you know, we'll play the part of it's for fun. The competition really only kicks in in the last few minutes. I was going to say play a whole baseball game and in the ninth inning, it's a golden ball. And if you hit that one out of the park, it's worth 10 runs. I would um I would argue that, like using the, the basketball compared because now I'm thinking about this. You've done this now. Um, mm -hmm. It would really be more like if you could make a full court shot. Which I mean happens, but yeah. it's fair. The, the Quidditch match doesn't always end with the snitch being caught, does it? Like it can end other ways. That's that. No, that's the only way the game. Oh, that's ends. No, the okay. game. It only gets you 150 points. I I stand. So then again, so yeah. if that's the only way the game ends, all you have to do is stay within 150 points and just you, all the the only player that matters then is your seeker. Got to play and you got to have enough defense. Really, offense doesn't matter that much. You just have to have enough defense and make sure your seeker is the best player on the field. The pitch. Well, see now, Mark. Now you're speaking my language. We can talk about the actual <laughs> strategies of how you set up yeah. a team, right? Like screw scoring right. points. I'm playing D, and I'm getting the best seeker in the league, and that's who I'm putting. Nerd there. Association has yeah, now become the Fantasy Quidditch League uh, talk show. <laughs> we are uh, we are your hosts, and I'm gonna just be the Baba Booey of this one, and just be like, <laughs> uh, you know, make make dick jokes about it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I just like Rupert Grant because I also the one where he's tricked into thinking he drinks the liquid luck and he goes out there and he has the game of oh, his yeah. life and then they then they do that really good cut to everybody cheering him on and lifting him up in the in like the Gryffindor quarters. That's a great scene that that has the the you know that classic sports movie vibe for just one scene. It's great. I think the question is why isn't it's Rupert true. Grint in more stuff and chops what like you should be the the the, the fan club leader for Rupert Grant. I, I think so. Rupert Grant should be in more things. Go. Well, that's what's hilarious. Again, my wife and I will get to the special later, but we watched the special and like they were showing some old clips from the movies. And like I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, I love again, I love the cast are great and it's amazing I, how that much they grew over the series. I mean, it's 10 years that they were filming these things. But I don't think enough love is given to Rupert Grant. He was good from almost the beginning. They showed their first screen test with the three main children stars. And like Rupert Grant is just like in it. The other two yeah. are reading their lines, and of course you recognize them, and you know that they're those actors, and they're going to be the, those parts, and they're great at it. But like Rupert Grid just looks so natural from day one, and then again, as you said, Chops, there's some great scenes from him throughout the series where I feel like the dude just knows how to be funny and be that person just so mm -hmm. naturally. Like it just like seems effortless. Whereas like again, I'm sure other people would just had to work so hard to get that right those right moments and everything. And like, he just does it so well. I feel like he does not get enough love. So I'm, I'm joining your fan club. All right. Rupert Grint fan club, two members so far. <laughs> so that kind of covers those first two. And then there was, yeah. uh, in my opinion, the first, the third one 
is the worst movie. And it's weird because a lot of people really like the book, but the movie, it's it feels like not a ton happens. The the switch over, and this is the only one that Alfonso Cuaron uh that he directed. And I feel like the switch is a little too abrupt. All of a sudden they're not in their robes all the time, which apparently is a rule at Hogwarts. So they don't really go over that in the first two movies. And I in the and it's really dark. The color palette of that one is oh, take all the color out. Really dark. He does that weird thing where they change the seasons by showing the whomping willow with its different leaves. And I'm like, this seems unnecessary. I understand that they're in school. The seasons are changing. I, I, the, but then the final scene of that one is really good and really compelling. And it, it's a, it's a good lead up to it. But as far as the movies go, deadly Alice part one doesn't count. Cause that's not really a movie. That's just, yeah. it's just a part one. But uh, as, as far as the other movies, the real movies go, I think prisoner Azkaban is the low point for me. Question, and you correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I know Gary Oldman is the the uh, new cast member. Uh, Lupus, whatever his head. No, Sirius Black. Lupin. Lupin, yeah. Sirius Black is Oldman, yeah. Anyway, point being, he's the first biggest actor in these movies, right? Like Oscar award winning actor not that there are big names alan Alan rickman is is great but he's not uh, critically acclaimed in the way that gary oldman is i mean maggie smith is a dame isn't she okay yeah 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 and then richard harris and richard harris played the first dumbledore all right well yeah but are any of them but it's it's funny you bring that up daniel the question i'm i'm doing my research now but point being I'll have to look that up because I don't know off top of my head. It's a shame that in other ways that was like the third movie is wasted because they've like finally got their biggest hitter at bat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and of course, I, I don't know about you guys. I Anything Gary Oldman is in is awesome. He's just so good and such a mm-hmm. chameleon for roles that. Especially Lost in Space. It's all good. Name literally any Gary Oldman <laughs> movie and I'll be like, hell yeah. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Tiptoes? I have not heard of Tiptoes. No, remember I, what I just said? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what? You look up Tiptoes and get back to us. Yeah. All right. Anyway, can um, carry on. That's that's funny that you brought that up, Daniel, uh, because in the special, um, Daniel Radcliffe talks about it because, yeah, they had all these big actors. And again, I don't know who won Oscars or not, but you had Maggie Smith. You had um, uh, Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid. You had Richard Harris as Dumbledore. But like apparently Daniel Radcliffe on the set was it was when he knew Gary Oldman was coming that he got like nervous, like was fanboying out about Gary Oldman being hired for the movies. And so it's hilarious that you say the same thing is like it was apparently a change and shift in how the stars, especially the kids felt themselves. Right. To have like Gary Oldman come in and be a part of the crew. Uh, to your points, Mark, it's um, funny because I looked at some stuff before we hopped on here so I could brush up and everything. And I was actually amazed. I don't really love the third movie either, kind mm-hmm. of for different reasons than you that I'll get into in a minute. But like a lot of people actually do. It's like pops up near the top or at the top of a lot of lists that I saw. And I was like amazed by that because I'm I'm like surprised because yeah, that, that surprises me. Off. Right. And like you said, I think you're the whole movie is just introduced serious black. That's the whole point of the movie and it doesn't. So, I mean, and that's a big character, but like, as far as the other movies and what they have for their climaxes, like, it's just not up there for me. And with the, and it takes away, I, because again, I was at that age, I felt like it sucked so much of the magic out of the world in its look. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that because I remember being, even as a younger person thinking that the third movie was really cool. So I, I I mean, but that's also as somebody who had, again, doesn't have nearly as much emot- emotional investiture in it. I think it's, this is one of those things too, yeah. and I don't want to jump the gun in talking about it now, so I think we should get into it more later, but I'd like to just set up this idea that this series, more than I think most pop culturally relevant series, it really matters what age you were when you started and like got yeah. into it and like when mm-hmm. you were hitting the 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 hallmarks, because I think... For me, I just hit like I was the wrong age when I hit the wrong part of the series. Does that make sense? And so I think that like had I been, I don't know, maybe a little older, but maybe not like I or maybe a little younger, like I would have progressed again. I think that's a a bigger conversation for later, but I think it's something that like is on my mind right now as to 
why certain movies hit certain ways. If I went back and watched them now as an adult and looked at them critically, I probably would agree that like, oh yeah, it's not as, I don't have as fond of a reaction to it. Well, I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say in regards to my complaints about the third movie versus chops is, is that when I, I was like, kind of like you, Mark, when I first watched it, it was, Oh, this is a jarring. This is different. And for a lot of people who I, I mean, our book lovers probably like me are like probably frustrated. That's why I'm so surprised it gets ranked so high. They leave a whole chunk of explaining Sirius Black's backstory with Remus Lupin and Harry's dad. That's just Mm -hmm. gone from the movie. And it plays such a huge part. Like the third book, I think I said this earlier is where the series kind of like hinges. That's where I remember reading that one and being like, I am in this now. This is the one that really sold me. Like I love the first two. They were great adventures third book was where i was like oh this is this is a great series and i remember when the fourth came out i couldn't put it down because this is how good that one was we'll get to that in a second but the third one's where jk rowling i think really showed her chops about like how she flipped all the plots on their head really cleverly and they don't really do that in the movie lupin wasn't very covert i mean based on the etymology of words but yeah, the they do a good job there, and it sets up. That's the world opens up so much more in the first ones. Like we said, it's like they follow the exact same story where the kids yep. go into a room they're not supposed to go in, in the, and now there's this prison, and you're getting a little bit more of who worked with with he who must not be named right. originally, and what's what's the backstory behind these people, and the world finally opens up into oh, this isn't just little things that these kids are dealing with at school that are that seem threatening to them as children. This is the, of this wizarding world this is the the real world stuff for them is there a reason that they give is there some sort of manic thing that affects people when they go to azkaban why are all of them screaming and laughing in in their mug shots yeah so again it's not really very well i think depict on the uh the um movie side but again it's it's really fascinating how they interpreted all that but basically like the way it is in the books, Dementors just really just suck all, all happiness out of you. So for some, like I think Bellatrix, who we'll talk about in the later movies, that's okay. She didn't really have much happiness before, and she's just crazy <laughs> anyway. So her crazy just comes out more, right? So that's why she's yeah. like panic in there. Whereas like it doesn't really make much sense for Sirius because he wasn't necessarily driven. I mean, it drives a lot of them crazy, it says. And there's lots of examples of that because, again, everything that is positive just gets sucked out of you. So all that's left is this crazy bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. For Sirius, the thing that kept him sane was this determination because he knew he was innocent to go find out, find Peter Pettigrew because he knew he was still out there, right? And so, like, that determination on that one goal, like, what keeps him hopeful despite the fact that these things, these creatures are just sucking out pretty much all hope out of you so that's that's the reason for that but it's funny because like looking at the movies now that movie in particular i actually appreciate a lot more as an adult than i did as a kid for the reasons that you were talking about that we as kids didn't really enjoy it as much i like the aesthetics of the tree uh changing the seasons because the whole yeah. movie is about time time right so time turns true yeah. hinge, right and so the way he just ties in that tree that will play a huge part later because you really don't know unless you've seen it or read it why they even care about the Whopping Willow after the car crash. And yet it plays such a big role in the end. And, but like it, the time, the clocks are everywhere. They show it throughout the movie and they show the seasons changing. It's all about like, again, how Hermione uses time. It just gaslights Ron reasons. the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's hilarious. But like, so for the artistic side, I actually appreciate that more. It's more of the plot and stuff and some of the other looks I just did not really enjoy still to this day where it's not highly ranked on my list of movies either. Also mark that down on bad administration. Don't let the Dementors come in to your school like that. That was a bad move. You got to blame the ministry there again. That's not Dumbledore. Oh, That's, that's true. Dumbledore. Is Hogwarts a public school? I think it's technically private, but it's, 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 it's still under the regulated the by ministry. Yeah. Regulated yeah. By, Cause like, yeah. Cause you have to be like invited in, but like you're invited in if you're magic. I don't know interesting so i think that pretty much sums up the third one which is i i know from a reader's standpoint a favorite but uh i guess a little a little more polarizing from a movie standpoint uh next up you've got the goblet of fire which i think might be the best movie the goblet of fire is great and i remember the goblet of fire being a great book even from that long ago that i was like really excited after reading that book to get into the next 
you know, the next book and the next sort of plot thread. The, the Goblet of Fire... Goblet of Fire is perfect for combining the two things that made the first half of the the movies for me great, and then what makes the second half of the movies great. And Prisoner of Azkaban started that by introducing that the world is is so much bigger. But the Goblet of Fire, you still get the magic of the school and this Triwizard Tournament. There's other kids that are in these schools, and they come and they they are at Hogwarts. You see a lot of the school stuff because the last few movies, uh, the the last two especially, don't really have anything to do with school. Um, and that's something that I think it's, you know, you, you miss a little bit. And I think Goblet of Fire does a great job of doing that. And then you finally get to see uh, Ralph Fiennes as Voldemort the first time in person. And then that threat seems so much more real and then becomes the focus of the movie and books going up, going forward. So that's, that's really interesting uh, chops because <clears throat> I feel like a lot of people really rag on the fourth movie for a lot of reasons. Um, I'll get to my own personal viewpoint in a minute, but like, have you guys heard the debate? They know this will be a good test of how much impacts culture. Of uh, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Harry? And it says <laughs> in the books, Dumbledore said that quietly, but in the movie, <clears throat> we have our uh, new Dumbledore after Prisoner Maskman, Michael Gambit, who just like basically runs and tries to attack Harry over this one little thing about his name being the Goblet of Fire, and fans to this day still are angry about that, apparently. Uh, no, I have. I do not remember. I do not remember that because I never saw that movie, so I can't speak to that. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I just didn't know if it had perpetrated the culture that much. But so, but to me, it's funny that that debate still goes on in the Harry Potter yeah. people's stuff that they're like still mad about that one injustice and for Goblet of Which, Fire. Like, there I has to be part- other lines that are delivered sort of <laughs> verbatim, but maybe have a different emotion attached to them because there is a, sure. there is an art to a- adapting a book to screen but for yeah for some reason people hinge on that one so are you much. saying that fandoms get unreasonably obsessed with very small details when it comes to uh, adaptations of books to movies whoa yeah they act like they act like the fact that he said that in a much more aggressive tone in the movie like completely changes the characterization of dumbledore and it's like ah they've got you know five other movies or whatever that he's a big part of that does a lot of the yeah. same characterization well, actually, I think that's the I think that's the problem, Chops. I think for me personally, Gandon's a great actor. He's done some lot of great things, but part of the drag in the later movies is his performance as Dumbledore. In regards to, again, I hate saying this guy. I hate. I love the books more than print. they're my favorite stories and written material ever. Uh, they're not my individual favorite book, but as a story as a whole, they're my favorites. And I love the movies, but like. The Dumbledore I had pictured in my head from the books does not match up completely. And I think that's how a lot of fans feel. And this one scene embodies that for them. Gandon does not quite live up to that in lots of ways. And that's not necessarily all his fault. That's partially how they structured the character from this point forward, a lot of ways and how they mm-hmm. kind of set it up so that they could tell the story. But like, I think, I think such a crucial role in the story was really something that they had to get right. And I think for a lot of book fans, especially this performance doesn't quite do that in lots of different ways. I mean, for me, I would have loved to have Ian McKellen just come out of Lord of the Rings and go straight into You his can't role have him shut up happy. about it. You're not allowed to have him. What? We're keeping Gandalf. <laughs> We're keeping Gandalf. You don't get That's to have fair. him. I love those two. I love those two. But this my love for him there. That makes me want him to be my Dumbledore, too. I mean, too. so and what so, you're like, saying is really, really it's Richard Harris's fault for dying. I think is what you're saying. Well, I mean, if you got to blame somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that guy. <laughs> how dare by you. the way richard He's harris right? richard harris famously an oscar winner i was very dumb to say that he wasn't uh famously won <laughs> many okay. many many awards so yeah credit to him too but he was never exactly how i imagined dumbledore either again probably because he was so late in the stage of life that he was just kind of like i always pictured dumbledore as kind of spry but also energetic but even though he was old and love richard harris my wife thinks he's amazing as dumbledore but like again even those two both of those really didn't hit the mark for me personally but i think for most fans gandon really kind of like doesn't hit it and it's such an important character to the story and to these people that like it means this one example kind of is their go-to when they say this is why i don't like him or don't like some of these interpretations of the books in the movies that makes sense Now I'm the like, yeah, I I really, I like the Triwizard tournament. I think that's really interesting. And I like that it, it's the first time where it, uh, it ties a lot better into that idea of the, 
the mixing of this larger wizarding world and that conflict and something that's just going on at the school and Voldemort has a way to to combine those two and that's why I really like the Goblet of Fire. Well, I completely agree with you there about chops. If we're we're going to be consistent here, how boring is the Triwizard Tournament for every student who's not in it to watch? When they go underwater, like, they're, all, they're <laughs> cheering, exactly. and they all dive into water, and then they're just gone for an Gets hour, anyway. however long. Then they go into a maze. Into maze. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's a shame because the first the first competition, the dragon one, is super entertaining oh, for yeah, spectators. Yeah. And then it's just like, oh, you don't see him for the rest of it. They could it could really just be that it could be uh, so many conspiracies would come out of that because the people just go away and they come back and they're like, this guy won, and it's a man right? that. People that would be all over the uh, the message boards of the Triwizard Tournament. Before we get too far away from it, do you want to know some some Dumbledore casting trivia? Sure, sure, yeah. Yes. So Richard Harris was always the first choice for for Dumbledore. However, when he passed away, the two actors that were the top choices were Christopher Lee. Imagine that, and oh, Andy and McKellen. Christopher Lee had to turn it down because of Lord of the Rings. Also, it would have meant that he would have been in the three most impactful series of all time between Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and Star Wars hmm. that were all going on at the same mm. time. That was Christopher Lee's renaissance. Ian McKellen didn't do it because Richard Harris used to criticize his acting style. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he and he basically... Man. Yeah, it basically was like, uh, <laughs> you know, Richard Harris used to tell me I was a bad actor, so I don't feel like I should replace him which i don't know if that's a respect thing or like a middle finger maybe a little oh, bit of both but I like see. okay yeah yeah and sean connery was apparently also considered but sean connery famously will not play a wizard because he was almost gandalf <laughs> in lord of the rings too well he was the one of the choices uh, that is but, sorry continue i just wanted i thought that was very interesting that that is very interesting imagine christopher lee as as Dumbledore, that would have been very different. Is, he, is Ian McKellen of that whole list? Is Ian McKellen the only one who's still alive? Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Sean Connery. Oh, Sean Connery did just die, didn't he? He just passed recently. And then Peter yeah. O'Toole yeah. was apparently also on the list, but he, um, for okay. the same for the same reason, they like were, were worried he was too old that he might pass, and of mm -hmm. course he died. He would have died before the last one. Imagine if they had had to recast. <laughs> Dumbledore a third time but yeah no of that list Ian McKellen's the only one left so. yeah. yeah anyway sorry I, I I uh brought down the mood while you're talking about all the ridiculousness of the <laughs> Triwizard Tournament please continue well to your point Josh I really like the fourth one too again it's partially the same struggle that the third one had for me where it's like a lot of plot I mean it's one of the longest books so a lot of plot had to be dumped they tried to rework it in some clunky ways the thing that the fake Mad-Eye Moody imposter Barney Crouch Jr. does, like licking his lips, that was really weird and random. I remember even mm -hmm. watching that as a kid thinking, how do you not know that's him or like whatever? But um, stuff like that where they just had to like quickly get to their their plot points that they knew they had to hit where it was kind of like you could have probably done this a little bit better. But in regards to like the film, I love the aesthetics of the different schools coming and the, like you said, it broadens the world. I think they made like I said, great choices by dropping the World Cup, even though I would love to have seen it because I'm a super fan, so I want to see every single page on the screen. But like, again, the structure of the movie is pretty good. And to me, it's just, it's such a good book. Like like Daniel, I remember reading that. That was like my first book that I just sat and read and no one could tear me away from yeah. it, basically. And the ending is just, especially the ending just captivates you for the last several chapters. And the movie actually does a pretty decent job of capturing if not everything that was in the in the book, the feelings that, that those chapters generate in you in regards to the absolute fear and the the way the world just kind of shifts. They do. I think about this a lot. The Goblet of Fire movie has one of the best scenes that's not in the books, which is Cedric Diggeroy's dad when he comes back with Harry, the, the, with uh, our new Batman's dead body. Robert Pattinson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cedric Diggeroy's dad. <laughs> yeah screaming over top of his son's boy or son's body and he's just screaming especially about my, boy, the, my boy the change where he's like my son is one and he's so excited mm -hmm. and then that slow realization you that see the whole he's not crowd. moving mm -hmm. oh it's, it's phenomenally done i think and again again watching that as i get older and as a father myself it's like man that just that just hits so well that again it's just not in the books so that's always one of the ones i point to like the movies do 
a great job changing this from page to screen really well. And this is one of the examples of them really knocking it out of the park. Does Cedric Diggory show up in the first three books at all? Cause he's not really a character in the first three movies. And then they act like no. he's like the king of the school. No, it's kind of funny. And this is one of the things that JK Rowling does really well. She name drops people. So he was named, he was in one of the, again, cause they have time to go into all the Quidditch matches, right? Mm-hmm. Harry lines up against him and lines up against Cho Chang. And so they're all there and they're named and they like, there's some descriptions about them and everything. But no, he doesn't really come into a full-blown character until yeah. the fourth that's, movie. That's not stuff book. you can waste time on in a movie. So it mm-hmm. makes sense. But yeah. yeah. So next up, now the world has been opened up. They have the confrontation yeah. with Voldemort. You see that there are some people who you didn't really realize were also evil, uh, namely. Because Drake, yeah, Draco's dad is there when, when that all mm-hmm. happens with, with Cedric and everything. And so mm-hmm. now all that stuff opens up. Harry knows that, you know, this is, this is what's going on. And he's trying to convince everybody that like, I, I saw him, he's there. He's the one who killed Cedric Diggory. Like we need to take this seriously. And the ministry is just like, no, 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 no. We we don't have to do that. And that's basically the entire plot of the order of Phoenix. And when uh, <laughs> at the end, when he says he's back, the, the minister, you're just like, yeah, that's what we've been saying for a year. <laughs> Hello, fellow nerds. Uh, It's me here in the editing booth. And as you can tell, we are just getting into talking about Order of the Phoenix, which means that our discussion on the books and the movies and the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter is running a little long. So we are going to go ahead and split this yes into two parts. So this will conclude part one of our discussion. But fear not, we will be back next week with part two. We will finish up talking about the books and the movies thereof. 20th anniversary special and the legacy of Harry Potter. So we will be welcoming back Michael to dig into Harry Potter and to finish our discussion. In the meantime, uh, we'd love to hear you weigh in. How do you feel about the Harry Potter books and movies? Are you a super fan? Are you more like me where you ever kind of quite got into it would love to hear more from you you can tell us by reaching out to us on twitter the handle is nerd n-e-r-d underscore a-s-s-o-c you can also email us nerd at gmail.com let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about or maybe you could even come on and be one of our nerds like michael is and talk about something about which you are passionate thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you again next week 